We've been talking about the hour of great desolation, which leads us into the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Jesus was careful to be sure his disciples' questions, when will these things take place, and what will be the sign of your coming, are thoroughly answered at this great terminal point, the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Jesus in Matthew twenty-four fifteen. The Lord was simply answering the legitimate questions of a small group of young adults who wanted to understand the unique dynamics of his return and the end of the age. And this would, this would not be an unusual question coming from young Jewish men versed in Hebrew scriptures, and, and this would not be an unusual question for either you or me if we spent quality time in the Bible. And we have both testaments for a reference point. The disciples knew the destruction of Jerusalem was synonymous with the end of the age. So Jesus' statement about the destruction of the temple linked the two issues inseparably in the Jewish mind. In short, the disciples read the prophets, as should we. In verses 4 through 14, Jesus explains the first stage in the end-time drama. The beginning of the birth pains, those mild labor contractions that let mama know she's definitely with child and a birth is soon to come. A time when the savvy church recognizes the change in the season, the shifts in the ecology, the pestilences, the rage among the nations, leading to ethnic conflict, even among former friends who are now at odds over moral absolutes and issues of social justice. Yes, we, we really must conclude we're beginning to see the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of these important signs. Now, now, would I, would I say now that in, this is the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week? No, but there are events even in the past year that have certainly got my undivided attention and the attentions of many of you in the church. Now, Jesus turns to the beginning and the end of the Great Tribulation here in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 31. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. But I also know that there are a number of you that are driving and listening to these podcasts and other situations and are not able to follow in the Bible. So I'm going to read a sizable chunk of Scripture here. Bear with me. Matthew 24, 15 through 31. Listen to these timing indicators. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down and take what's in his house. And let the one who's in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, listen to Jesus here, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That's the global destruction that the return of Jesus brings to a, a sudden halt. Jesus continues, Then if anyone says to you, Look, 
here's the Christ, or or there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now listen, Jesus continues here. Immediately, a timing indication, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Hallelujah. Folks, <laughs> that's a rapture. That's a resurrection. That's a redemption. Yes, and, and that's a return. But here's the trigger event. Matthew 24, 15. I've read it so many times, but it's important. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus tells us who will be there and where he will stand. There's a shift in the conversation here. Jesus moves from explaining the broad trends to elicit details, beginning with a quote from Daniel 9, where, where Gabriel explained God's timeline to the end of the age. Daniel prophesied of a prophetic seven-year period divided into three-and-a-half time, three-and-a-half-year time frames that would, would lead to Jesus' coming. Listen to Daniel 9.27. And he, that's the Antichrist, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That's Daniel. So we recognize from the, the very prophet Jesus referred us to, number one, a strong covenant. And we're going to talk about the very nature of that event in a moment. Number two, he, well, that's the Antichrist, will bring an abrupt end to the sacrifice that begins the first three and a half years. And then third, the Antichrist performs an abominable act in the newly constructed temple. The Antichrist will confirm a covenant, albeit a very unique covenant and confirmation. This is very important because it, it explains how, how such a period of unexpected peace and tranquility can come about between Israel and a coalition of nations of, of such an ancient hatred. But uh, miraculously, it does. The covenant struck between uh, the man who is shortly to become the beast, the Antichrist, when the angel Michael removes Satan from the heavens, suggests that this covenant is being recognized as a holy covenant, not just another peace treaty. 
We've had plenty of peace treaties, but this is something altogether different. We would have to infer the man destined to be revealed as the Antichrist has come under some sort of kind of restraint that makes it expedient for him to give an insincere recognition to Israel's holy covenant, the one and same holy covenant God made with Abraham so many centuries before. In one great deception, this man is is giving a formal recognition to a covenant he actually hates and will soon abolish. Meanwhile, Israel exercises its rights to exist and have access to Temple Mount. It's important to point out this deceptive man is not making a new covenant. Rather, he is confirming an existing covenant, the Holy Covenant. Again, that one that was made with Abraham. He's he's saying to Israel, we recognize your right to exist, have, have access to Temple, Temple Mount, be, because your covenant is a holy covenant that was made with you. These are two things we must take away from what I'm really laboring here to show. Number one, what else but this unexpected recognition of Israel's holy covenant would prompt an unprecedented peace and safety? that would also persuade Israel to relax its defense forces, the IDF. They never do that. Lower the wall in Jerusalem, perhaps, that that same wall that's bemoaned by both Arab and Jew, and, and celebrate what was deemed impossible, peace at last. And secondly, we, the church, will know we will know the final seven years of this age has begun because we know the critical must events that very quickly follow. And what is to follow this is the Antichrist's betrayal of of this seven-year covenant three and a half years in by stopping the temple activities, including the animal sacrifices, and replacing them with his own. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. The man of lawlessness, the man of sin, is revealed, who, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The abomination of desolation signals the beginning of the Great Tribulation. The abomination consists of the mark and the image. The image of the beast is is one of the most significant prophetic signs in the end times. John uh, emphasized this statue ten times in the book of Revelation. The abomination of desolation will prove to be convincing to the masses because of its supernatural aspects, notably the incarnation of the Antichrist by Satan, which we've talked about. This event can't happen unless Israel builds the temple on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, something Scripture emphatically points out. Even now, in Israel, there are significant preparations underway for temple construction and, yes, an animal sacrifice. An animal sacrifice unthought of in today's political and social environment, yet the Bible is clear it will begin at a future point. Now, here's the important point. There must be a system in place before the abomination occurs. It must be set up, a worldwide infrastructure for worship. 
Jerusalem, of course, is the epicenter of the Great Tribulation. Listen to to Matthew 24 again, 16 through 20. Then let those in Judea flee. Let them flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down and take out what's in his house. Let the one who's in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. That final verse there is interesting because I believe it it shows that the Orthodox religious community will be in authority and power in Israel in those days of peace and safety. And of course, in Orthodox religious tradition in Israel, no travel on the Sabbath. You don't do things on the Sabbath. You see, there's there's a lot of detail here. These verses are also heavily debated because Jesus is clearly speaking to his Jewish brothers. Everybody could recognize that. It's all in red, and it's all in Matthew, and it's all to his Jewish brothers. But, but I suggest this is yet another illustration of the near and far, now but not yet, of Bible prophecy. Jesus is speaking of 70 A.D., the final Roman invasion into Jerusalem, and, of course, the coming diaspora. But he was also addressing a much future invasion. He was speaking of a a global calamity at the end of the age, simply because of the dozens of reasons in the chapter. He was speaking as a true Hebrew prophet, using the contemporary events, 70 AD, to shed light on a great eschatological event at the end of the age. This is not new in Hebrew prophecy. Isaiah spoke of an Assyrian invasion. Joel spoke of a Babylonian invasion. Here, Jesus is using a coming Roman invasion of Jerusalem as a prototype of the great siege of a new empire on the earth, that coming seventh empire, the final empire a consolidation of raging nations that will overtake and attempt to eradicate the covenant nation at the end of the age, the abomination of desolation and the great tribulation. Zechariah 12 through 14 speaks of this cataclysmic event. Even in a cursory view of these scriptures, will will show all the nations will come against Jerusalem, not just Rome. Two-thirds of the Jewish people will die. The remainder of the nation will collapse and be, be dismantled until only half the city remains standing. Let's read those scriptures from Zechariah chapter 14. I'm just going to read the first three verses. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the, when the spoil will be taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather. Oh, get this. This is, this is cl- very important here. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Now listen to this last verse. Then, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. 
The very nations he gathered together, all those nations to come against Jerusalem to bring a divine discipline to his covenant people, he's then going to turn around and go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. That seriously sounds like a major discombobulated conflict of interest. The very nations he summons to bring divine discipline and correction to his covenant people, he turns and goes out to destroy when he says, the Son of God says, enough is enough. How do we know that? Well, the very next verse in Zechariah 14.4, on that day that he brought him off to battle, and then he turned around to destroy him, on that day the day of the Lord, of course, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Verse 5, then the Lord my God will come. Oh, did you hear that? Then, a timing indicator, the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Yes, folks, that's the the second coming of Jesus. Yes, that's the rapture. That's the resurrection of believers and the, the Old Testament righteous. And so many other age-ending activities in this end-of-the-age event. Let me say here, there are many who disagree with Zechariah's take on the matter. It's certainly not the popular view of today, and, and for very obvious reasons, but there are a number of verses that support our view, the Bible view. Stay with me here. Here's Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, going back again to the Old Testament. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, that day of the Lord, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, and only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Beloved, clearly many men were killed, and widowed women were clearly seeking a covering, and will be in that day, on the day of the Lord. In that day, the the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. And then the, the final chapter of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 7. And I heard a man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times, and half a time, folks, that's three and a half years, and that when the shattering of the power, yes, the flesh, the abilities, the wherewithal of the holy people, when it comes to an end, all these things would be finished. A short time later, the angel told Daniel, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Now there, folks, is a clear timing indicator. The city of Jerusalem has always been a center of controversy, but the day is coming when it will be the center of world controversy. The church must settle it 
that God has a controversy with Zion and the nations. Until that contention is settled at his return, the church of Jesus Christ must arise and take hold of its divine call and mandate to go to the nations and the Jew. Isaiah says it very succinctly in Isaiah 34, 8. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. All that we've been speaking of in these last few teachings point us to the day of his coming. And in our next episode, that's where we're going to arrive. The coming of the Son of Man after the tribulation of those days and the gathering of elect from heaven and earth. What a day that'll be. Let's pray. Father, we, we certainly are waiting for that day, the, the day of the Lord's return and the glory, the glory of spending eternity with him as we reign with him over a millennial renovated earth. But, but before we were swept into that glorious position, Father, we embrace the straightening and the preparation necessary to lead in the power of the Holy Spirit, the critical days ahead. This is the most exciting time to be alive, the most exciting time in history, I believe, Father. And uh, you've privileged us, privileged us to be part of that, to know you determined to reveal to us the mysteries of your kingdom in a generation that will see the return of Jesus. We love you, Lord. And to this we say, Amen. And Maranatha, I'm Bill Nordstrom. God bless each and every one of you.